Welcome to the Motoring Podcast, your weekly discussion of motoring news. This is episode 356 on Tuesday, the 29th of September, 2020. Hello, I'm Alan. Hello, I'm Andrew. And in a week where we congratulate Jade Edwards for her BTCC weekend, we'll be talking about how fraud trials are finally starting in Germany. We'll also discuss if it is in fact safe to go to a petrol station. And we ask, what are the signs that you're driving in France? But first, let us get some of this very dull court-related stuff out the way. I'm very sorry, people, but we have started down the route of follow-up, so we will continue because we are that bloody-minded on these things. We'll continue because Andrew's that bloody-minded. <laughs> uh, right, this is the news that Wintercorn has had proceedings start against him and several other executives and this is personally about whether he is guilty or they are guilty of market manipulation as part of the Dieselgate scandal. And part of the question is, should they have informed the investors the extent of the emissions fraud and what the fines were going to be sooner? Uh, Volkswagen have hit back and said there's no way they could uh, foresee how extensive the fines were going to be. So that that's a non-starter as far as they're concerned. And Wintercorn has previously denied the charges, although there was no uh, no direct statement from his lawyer at this time. But that's not the only courty volkswagen bit, is it, Alan, unfortunately? No, uh, no, it isn't. The prosecution of, well, the prosecution of the eight other Volkswagen employees uh, charged in the Dieselgate scandal, who still aren't being named in the most part, uh, will start next week, isn't it? Yes. I've lost my uh, place. Be, yes. It'll be this, this week as we speak, because they were articles mm. from last week. Yeah, so that's going to start happening. They're going to begin with the former Audi chief executive, Rupert Stadler. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but there's been another eight charged as well by a different regional court. I'm so sorry. I thought it was the same eight. So this eight is being charged in Braunschweig. They could be the same people or many of the same people, but this is in a different court now. This is in a different regional area, just to make things complicated for us, everybody. That's nice. Shall we be shall we be gormless and pretend they're all the same and then it's much simpler? <laughs> Fortunately, the, the regions prosecute for themselves. It seems like Germany is made up of lots of little independent countries put together. <laughs> hmm. It is exactly that. <laughs> and that's what's happening, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. We're going to move away from Dieselgate, but we will stick with uh, legal proceedings. And this is in America and FCA has reached a settlement of charges for misreporting sales. Now, we did cover this where they went, if you remember ages ago, FCA went on this monumental rise in sales month after month after month. And people started to begin to look at this and go, really? Really? You're doing very You're still doing well. Oh, turns out that these had been... Sorry, the procedures were not as robust as they should have been, I think is the legal way FCA are commenting on this. Mm-hmm. But they have agreed to pay the Securities and Exchange Commission $40 million, pound, $40 million fine, but have admitted no wrongdoing. And as it says on the Roadshow uh, subheadline, as long as it promises not to do it again... <laughs> 
which I thought was quite telling. <laughs> um, yes. You've got to remember, because we, we covered this, I think, a couple of weeks ago, that in America you can make things disappear by paying quite a sizable amount of cash. Mm-hmm. And it gets resolved in that, that you're not admitting any wrongdoing, you just want it all to go away, please. Yes, yes, we talked about that with Volkswagen. Just as an aside, I'm sorry, The why I was... Uh, you could possibly see me laughing at the start of that, is that the play-along advert that seems to have made its way around my ad blocker here is going diesel in the 2020 Ram 1500 <laughs> is the advert that is playing in the corner of the, 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 is the advert that's playing in the corner of it, thankfully without sound. But yes, they're, they're watching you. Yeah. I think is all we can say. Anyway, next story. Uber. Uber has not been banned from London. So you remember, this was a while ago now. It mm. was 2017, yeah, 20, 2019, they had their thing cancelled and they were put on a short term. Yeah, it did. Well, 20, no, 2017, they were originally, uh, TFL originally refused to renew Uber's license. Then won a 15-month license from a judge in June 2018. But now they have been granted a full and proper uh, license for 18 months by TFL. The main challenge that there's been throughout all of this, what triggered all of this, was that 24 drivers had shared their accounts with 20 others over the course of 14,788 rides. TFL raised that as their main concern, uh, for a long, long time there, why uh, as to why Uber shouldn't have the license. However, Westminster Magistrates Court said they were now a fit and proper operator, despite historical failings. Uh, Mayor of London, Sadiq Khan, who's always one for weighing in on, you know, an opinion on anything. Uh, he's particularly likes this red T-shirt, I'm told. Said it was absolute. said TfL was absolutely right not to renew... Uh, uber license last year but acknowledged that the company had made improvements yes there are very much two tribes in in london there are people who like and use uber and there are people who much much prefer to get a black cab mm-hmm. that seems to be that seems to be the split oh the that which reminds me that the uh london taxi uh, well, you can imagine the london the 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 london taxi uh, licensed Taxi Drivers Association, I knew it was LTDA, said that it was a disaster for London. They are they are less impressed. Yes. But mm-hmm. at least the police are going to get lots of handy information now, hey? So that's all good. Yeah, well, there we are. I, I mean, I remember when Uber was a small startup, which was uh, convenient and, and gathered some data to make sure the right cars were in the right place at the right time uh, and that was about it and published all the data it collected and shared it so other pe- so that it could be used for anonymized data mining and seeing where what was happening where at the very highest level but yeah it, it has evolved an awful lot as a company since then i would say yes right anyway tell us about greater manchester and its clean air zone or at least the consultation well quite which having forty thousand vehicles on the road is not going to help but that's not their problem Uh, what it is greater manchester 
is going to hold two major public consultations on the clean air zone or a category C clean air zone that the government has stated they need to install. Now, Greater Manchester is, if you're not aware, a massive area in the northwest. It covers 10 local authorities. So it's it's huge. It comes, uh, it, it covers Wigan. It goes as far as Wigan, the end of the M58 on the west, and it goes quite a far way on the east, as well, and obviously north and south. These are all just northern places with whippets, as far as most of us are concerned. Well, yes, that is true, and it and it is grim. <laughs> I actually really like Manchester, so yeah. Obviously, as with everywhere else, they found uh, during lockdown. Funnily enough, no traffic on the roads. Air quality improved. And that mm-hmm. has changed dramatically as the lockdown has eased and as people were not so long ago told to go back to work and continue lives as per normal or as much as you could do. So now there's several areas have gone over the legal limits again. So what the Category C covers is buses, coaches, taxis, heavy goods and light good vehicles. So it's not privately owned cars. Not private cars. Or motorbikes. Okay. But that isn't to mean they won't introduce something for that. Historically, a few years ago now, pre-podcast, they wanted to introduce a congestion charging Mm -hmm. zone for central Manchester. But they put it to a... They put it to a to a vote. They held a referendum on it, essentially, and it was declined quite heavily, wasn't it? Yes, it was a it was something of a blow to the city council. Yes, to have misjudged the public's feeling on the matter. <laughs> yes, oh, really? Quite. It was it was a major source of conversation because that happened when I was working up there, and but that has really stung. Yep. So. I would almost put money on the fact that there will be something squeaked into this that essentially follows that because they really wanted that as a way of bringing in extra cash flow for the council. I used to have to drive into the centre of Manchester a couple of times a week. Hmm. And when I was doing that, private cars were a big chunk of that problem. So the fact that they're not covered by this, and it is a it is a pig of a place to get into. Yeah. Because of that, then I can I can easily see that they're going to introduce something because you'll get the buses and the lorries, uh, the the delivery vehicles, all saying, "Well, come on, it's not fair on us if you're letting the vast majority of tra- transport, which is the cars, mm-hmm. not be penalised in any way." So, by by stealth means, it'll come in, and that's if the public themselves don't turn around and go, "Actually, cars need something doing about them as well." Yeah. Yeah, and I think that nine months ago, there would have been more of a chance than now. Yeah, but yeah. maybe, and if you if you are a resident in Greater Manchester and you do contribute to the consultations, you might want to say, how about encouraging people not to travel at all? <laughs> because well, that's what absolutely. none of these, you know, until, until one of these, these metropolitan areas starts using that as a major element of their clean air uh, mm-hmm. uh, a clean air policy. strategy yes thank you policy then they're only doing it to charge people money uh, yeah absolutely absolutely the, the trouble is they have to also encourage people to come in to then go to the shops to use businesses so. yeah 
find ways to encourage people to spend money on businesses based there, but not necessarily traveling. Mm-hmm. Anyway, let's t- let's continue talking about roads then, Alan. Yeah, lots of roady stuff tonight. Highways England uh, has introduced a new scheme, and it's to make life easier for disabled drivers on the motorway. Well, not specifically on the motorway, but in the areas bordering the motorway. So rest stops, um, motorway service stations, all of these kind of things. What they're going to do is they're – num- well, it's a number of different levels of what they're going to do. So first of all, what they're going to do is they're going to assess more than 100 service areas on their accessibility, covering parking, toilets, petrol stations, shops, restaurants. They're also going to launch 113 virtual access guides to England's motorway service areas by the start of 2021. And you might be saying, well, what's the point in that? Why why do I need one of these virtual access guides? And the idea is so that people can can use these guides and have an idea of what's inside the buildings and where they're going to need to go before they actually get through the door. Because that makes life so much easier. If you think how poor, for most of us, the signage can be in motorway services to get to you know the the things that we need most whenever we stop at a motorway service station uh then think how much how much harder it must be if you're in a wheelchair if uh, if you're if you're deaf in many cases all these kind of things so it's it's all about that kind of uh that kind of stuff it's been seen by director of access able which is an app which is collaborating with Highways England on this. They're calling it a groundbreaking initiative, and it does sound like it is a, a pretty impressive initiative. Yep. Obviously, all of this will be free of charge, available both via an app and via the website. Uh, the website is linked from the Motoring Research article in the show notes. Yes, good idea. That. Like Clever that. stuff. Yep. Clever stuff. I, I do like that. Good, good use of technology. We applaud that. Yep. Right. Last week... We were told that we should only go to motorway services and petrol stations if we absolutely needed to, which made us all think, hang on, I normally go there just for the hell of it and the fun because I like being fleeced. I I go to Watford Gab services for the lols. Yes. Yes. It's the views. Uh, It's all the views. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> there are hey you say that there are some with some pretty stunning views yes they're very rare though mm-hmm. uh, but what then happened is that there was quickly a ah now how, what's the word it clarification sorry <laughs> clarification which seems to be a word that is used a lot today as we record by government types <laughs> uh clarification on the wording and it was just really there was all they were trying to say was just limit your time keep your distance from others pay with contactless you wear gloves when you use the petrol pumps that sort of thing it's not because we possibly oversimplified this because the petrol stations went hang on you're telling people not to come here and spend any money what's going on there? they've been not spending any money with us for six months yes please let them buy a packet of sandwiches <laughs> which to be honest is not often i will sympathize with petrol retailers but on, on this one I, I do sympathize with petrol retailers yes 
Yeah. Oh, dear. <laughs> oh, God. You know, it, if the government needs help with communications, we at the Motoring Podcast will happily, for a fee, step in and give them some advice. For a significant fee. Yes. Like we Sorry. never, ever want to pay taxes again. <laughs> that sort of fee. Yes. <laughs> I'd be quite happy with $750 a year, to be perfectly honest. <laughs> right. Take us to Brazil now, Alan. Yes. Um, there are many jokes I could make about this, but I'm not because it's actually quite serious. Uh, but Volkswagen is to pay uh, is to pay compensation to to workers in Brazil, former employees in Brazil who were persecuted during the country's military dictatorship from 1964 to 1985. It was found to be one of several corporations that secretly collaborated with the military government to identify suspected subversives and trade unionists. Compensation payments uh, were announced last Thursday. They've all already been agreed between the company and federal, state and labor law prosecutors. It was, I think, that was not a good time in Brazil. Uh, just around then. The head of integrity and legal affairs on Volkswagen's board of management I'll, I'll let you think about that one for a second or two, uh, has said it's important to take a responsible attitude towards this negative chapter in the history of Brazil and to make pains to be transparent. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, there's lots more on this story. It is quite a long one. It's it's a long story on The Guardian. And it's it's worth a bit of a read, actually, because yes. it's, it's really quite interesting. I'm not going to go into it in loads of detail here, but it fills in a little bit of, little bit of history as well. Yeah, there was something I wasn't aware of. Just goes to show the murky mingling between corporations and governments. <laughs> right, I'm going to move us on now. We're going back to the roads, and we're going back to reporting on them. And this is the recommendation on media reporting guidelines to do with road safety. However, it's heavily leaning towards cyclists because uh, this this article goes on about because it is also from the Active Travel Academy, so we can guess uh, which which angle it's coming from. But it does make a fair point that uh, when the press covers cyclists, it's broadly negative in its in its reporting, and there's some of the, some of it is justified, obviously, because there are people who cycle that do daft things. But equally, it's not quite balanced in the language that it uses with when somebody is the driver, how that is reported. Because when it talks about the cyclist, it's talking about a person. But when they talk about a car or a a vehicle being driven, it invariably discusses the car. So it sort of takes a step away from the human side of things. Instead of going the driver. Mm -hmm. Uh, There was a story recently I, I, I read, which was about, uh, it was about a cyclist getting injured. And it was described as the driver of the high-performance Porsche vehicle. Mm. Wouldn't matter what it was, the actual Mark brand performance level doesn't matter. No. It could have been it could have been a one liter Vauxhall or one point two liter Vauxhall Corsa yeah. that was involved in this. It wouldn't actually it wouldn't actually matter. It wouldn't change the story. Yeah, sorry. No, it's right. It, it, it needs to be balanced. It needs to it needs to talk about the the person who has 
who is involved in it, whether it is somebody who is the victim of a collision. And that's another word that they talk about mentioning because we, thanks to uh, Edward Lamb, pointing out to us on the podcast in the past where we now try to make sure that we say collision and not accident because accident is not the right word to use in these circumstances. Mm -hmm. So it's crash or collision is what they're suggesting is used. But it's just trying to balance it out and be impartial when describing it and be accurate and fact-based. So don't don't try and put a, a slant on it. Just say a cyclist was hit by a driver or, you know, if that's what happened. Uh, so you can sort of see where we, where they're coming from, and it does it. It makes a, a lot of sense, I think. Some of the, I don't agree with everything in this article, which I encourage you to read. They talk about <laughs> speeding is dropped in, uh, obviously, and everybody who listens to the podcast knows that I have a particular dislike of the way speeding is used as the fulcrum of all driving evil when it's, mm -hmm. it's people being idiots. <laughs> But it's it is definitely worth a read, and uh, we thankfully had been trying to go down this line anyway. But it just gives a little bit of help, I think. Mm -hmm. We shall go and polish our halos in response. Yeah, possibly. No, not no, really. Quite. Then people can point out where we didn't. <laughs> yeah. Oh, we've normally pointed it out first. Thank you. Yeah. Just a quick update on the world's largest automakers, because I know that you're all you're all on tender hooks. Uh, about that in the first eight months of the year uh, this is really really warming up because it feels like a long time since it's been smmt smmt figures and only it's only been two weeks world's largest automakers of the first eight months of 2020 they are uh, volkswagen uh, with 5.5 million yes units Toyota with a 5.4 million units uh, and some way behind the Renault Nissan Mitsubishi Alliance with 4.4 million vehicles so far. The numbers, just in case to give some context there, for Volkswagen, that's down 21.5% year on year. Toyota, it's down 24.4% year on year. And for the Alliance, it's down 34.2%. So uh, there's a big gap. The estimates for up until the end of the year are going to be 8.4 million, 8.2 million, 6.6 .6 million. To put that into perspective, last year Volkswagen was 11.1 million. Yeah, is that right? Toyota around that. Possibly Toyota just pipped. They were, I know that at the minute, or for the last year, a couple of years, Volkswagen and Toyota have sort of been slugging it out with who's built the most. Even as it even as it is, it's only a hundred and thirty thousand between them, just yeah. under. Uh, the numbers, by the way, come from the automakers themselves. There are appropriate caveats given at the end of the article on the Daily Kanban. Mm -hmm. Yes, right. Uh, this is I'm going to the the last bit of the first part of the show. I'm going to talk about how Total has acquired the London's largest EV charging point network in and they have bought blue point london from bollier is that how you pronounce it bollore 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 sorry see this is why alan normally does the french inspired articles because i struggle with english let alone anything else uh, but this is 1600 on street charge points you were telling me before alan that they uh, they had done this though for a particular reason they bought this previously so Bellore Group was behind the 
I've forgotten its name now, the Autolib car share, electric car share system in Paris. They were the mobile toilets, if you remember, everybody. Yeah, so the <laughs> if you've been in Paris over the last few years, although not for a little while, uh, they were the 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 uh, EVs designed and built by Pininfarina around a Fiat around Fiat bits uh, that were stainless steel to begin with, and then some of them ended up uh, getting painted because the stainless steel started to look really grubby once you'd scrubbed all the graffiti off them. So they introduced a few of those cars into London. I have now had a mental blank at the name of the scheme it was, but it started out, out in Hammersmith, Hammersmith Way, uh, and they introduced the car, some of the cars here, but it never really... Thanks to the way London is carved up between all the different councils, and the different councils have different parking and charging buddies, sorry, partnerships, then it was kind of difficult to get all their points in the right places. So what they did was they bought Blue Point London. Honestly, the car share thing didn't really take off here in the here in London, so they they closed that down last year. Sounds familiar. The end of last year, if yeah. I remember rightly, and so. What they've ended up with is the only thing they've got in the UK is this bunch of, um, is this charging, charging network, this small charging network in central London of relatively low power on-street chargers. But they've sold all of those to Total Gas and Power, um, who are, are sort of part of the, the UK arm of, of Total, which used to be Total Fina Elf. Yeah, the, the the overall aim is by 2025 to have more than 150,000 charging points across metropolitan areas in Europe. It doesn't surprise me because uh, when I think EDF is a partner in Ionity, definitely all of the, the older EDF fast charges have been have been closed down. That network has been closed down across across the French autoroute system. And everywhere where there was... One of those, there are now eight Ionity chargers instead. So this is, so it's actually really good to hear that, uh, that it's actually going to be spread out, but hopefully, yeah, some more in the UK. Sorry, one of the problems with charging in France is that there are no decent speed chargers off the autoroute network, unless you're a Tesla. Ah, uh, okay. Mm. Right. Well, I think that's the first part it is, uh, and it comes to that point in the show that we jokingly call a guilt minute, and it's when we remind you to think about and consider what the motoring podcast is worth to you. If you feel it's worth a small amount of your hard-earned cash, then please head to motoringpodcast.com and click on the orange Become a Patron button there on the front page. That'll mean that you can give us a small donation every month throughout the year, which for which we are incredibly uh, incredibly grateful uh, if you'd like to make a one-off donation then the best way to do that is to buy some of our merchandise they've got particularly good mugs i i am i like the mugs lot andrew has a mug only it's still in my house <laughs> because in january last year when they arrived i said don't worry i'll see you soon mm. and that ain't happened yet uh but no if you go to motoringpodcast.com, you go to merchant, uh, merchandise or, or shop area uh, at the top there, then uh, it'll take you, it'll link you through to our Teespring store where you can order uh, GR Men mugs, which are cheaper than a front brake disc. Uh, you can order Motoring Podcast mugs and t-shirts and bits and pieces as well. Uh, we understand that not every 
not all of you have the ability to do this so please don't forget to like rate and leave feedback via the podcast player of your choice also if you've done all of that you really are awesome uh how's about telling a friend about us though uh, and showing them how to subscribe via the co- podcast player of their choice if you don't subscribe to the show how's about doing so it is free and it'll make sure that the next show comes to you without the anxiety and worry that you might miss the next exciting installment of diesel no of something interesting <laughs> yes <laughs> and 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 diesel gate and, and something and <laughs> yeah <laughs> or and something <laughs> Oh, dear. Right, I'm going to uh, take us to a bit of motorsport. And we normally don't cover this, although we did last year because Alan was there was on there. Sausage Watch. Um, and it's the Nürburgring 24-hour. <laughs> <laughs> the title. There was, uh, sorry, there's, there's no real... You can't do that. That's just that's just you saying it and then going, oh, I'll make that the title. Yeah. No, that's, no, that's not the That's not the title. <laughs> okay. I hear... I, I, practically never put my foot down on this but this one i will okay we'll see tomorrow anyway talking about the race that happened this year uh on a on a year where no one thought it was going to happen at all but it was a crazy crazy 24-hour race where they basically shut down overnight because the weather was horrific (laughs) i was so glad i wasn't there oh yeah i think i said so on saturday night it was like i was missing being there until the absolutely pelting rain running down the track and thinking leaders kept coming off uh they 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 had to red flag it for basically from um uh, till eight o'clock it was red flag for nine and a half hours um because they they just couldn't cope the the drainage system couldn't cope with the rain and it's only at eight o'clock on sunday morning to get going again but the the audis were all leading that at the time but mm. because of the interruption it meant that the m6s which are still huge uh when you like, must must look awful in your rear view mirror if you see one of those coming at you going oh my god it's coming at us now it's massive it's like a death star when you're one of one of the rebel alliance in your little ship or something <laughs> In your Nissan Duke. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, because there was, again, another twist in the tail is always the way with these 24-hour races. There was a huge rainstorm uh, at 2 o'clock, which nobody saw coming. The weather forecast didn't even have on its radar. And mm-hmm. the BMWs reacted immediately, but the leading Audi did another lap on slicks when it was nearly a river again. So lost a yeah. sack load of time. And in the end, one by 15 seconds. Uh, so, uh, congratulations. 15 to... seconds over 24 I hours. I know. I know. Uh, congratulations to uh, BMW on that. But uh, mm-hmm. also, congratulations to Charlie Martin for completing her first 24 hour race. And mm-hmm. her team ended up in fourth in class, which was yep. great news. Yep, it was great. They started off uh, sixth in class. Uh, so, it was number 242 BMW 240i. And yeah, they started off sixth in class. There weren't that many in the class, but they made up two places and many laps. Yeah. Bearing in mind, you are not just, when you're in a, a smaller class, a smaller vehicle in one of the lower classes, you're having to watch behind you as much as you're watching ahead so that you don't get in the way of these. I mean, these GT3s are so fast, just so fast. It's ridiculous. 
Yeah. Did you see now one of the one of the teams there was a penalty which changed the thing at the end, and it was a Fricadelli Porsche, which was basically sitting there playing bumper cars with the car in front, and that's what it, why it's got its penalty. That's why it's got its penalty. Ah. Lost a possible podium because of its penal penalty with the number ninety eight BMW, which was one of the ones that was on that was second, I think. And yeah, and he was literally pushed trying to push him around corners basically just not lifting off mm. and he was a camera car as well so we could all see it oh, happening dear. live as he went push 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 and it was so obvious but yeah it was it was great i kept well there was no point in staying up overnight to watch it um yeah. but no i just kept an eye on it anytime i was in the house over the weekend uh great watching good stuff and well done uh radio Le Mans, on your coverage both oh, in vision tracking. and in uh, talking of total uh, in vision mm. and with the words and the sounds excellent mm-hmm. considering yep. they're covering an imsa race as well in america <laughs> yes oh there was some some drivers from the number 24 by the way beetled out so they did their stints at, in the ring and then they went they were driven to zanvoort where there was a, a race <laughs> happening and did a stint at zanvoort in belgium which isn't hugely far away, and then came back and then did another stint at the ring. How crazy is that? Yeah, that is insane. I know. I know there was one of the one of the leading BMWs. They had a driver that was double stinting between two of the the two BMWs in the team. But then after the rain came, it just went. No, you're going to stay here, and we've booted out the driver that was that had only done a few laps of Nurburgring before just to qualify. Mm. We've shelved him, and now you can just concentrate on this car, which is yeah, no, they're, quite they're brutal. De- but I, yeah, I mean, when you're going for the win, yeah. the, the thing about oh, by the way, and the other thing about the winning BMW team was it was uh, uh, the the name of the sponsor is R O W E, but whenever but it, because it's a W, it's pronounced as a V in German, so it was a Rover VM BMW. <laughs> It just sounded so strange every time it was said. <laughs> no, so if anyway. you can watch highlights, go and watch highlights of that. It was excellent. Yeah, loads of really good ones on the YouTubes. Yep. Lots of those. Uh, and also linked in the article that's linked through the show notes. Yes. Little bits. Um, next up, read of the lunchtime read, pardon me. <laughs> How many of these have we done? And I can't remember the names of the name of the spots uh the lunchtime read this week is from a friend of the show nia khan who's the de- design director uh, for plasan and he's talking about uh, electric cars and uh, electric vehicles and whether they're battery farmed or free range and a- about how strange it is that electric cars are marketed on the size of their fuel tank rather than anything else yes and do you really need that it it's a good one it, it's written by nia so anyone Anyone can understand it, even if you're not really a big fan of these things. It's, it's nice. It's easy to read. Go go have a, a quick look at it um, yep. over lunch. He makes very salient points as well. Do follow Nier on, on LinkedIn. He's, he publishes quite a few bloggy type things, and they're always good. Yep. Absolutely. Right. I'm going to take us to the list of the week, which is... The 15 fast estates that aren't obvious or expensive. And this is from Top Gear. And as you can imagine, Top Gear does come up with decent lists like these. And they are, there's some of these are expected. Mm-hmm. But as ever, oh. they've got some 
crackers in here that you sort of go, oh, yes, I'd forgotten about that. And as you go through, Alan, is there any that particularly leap out? Is there one? Um, there, there, there are many. I know uh, that's the problem. Yes. It's like I'd be quite happy with all of them, actually. <laughs> uh, no, the one that gets the one that I would have, which I think is one of the best looking estate cars ever, ever, ever. Uh, in fact, and as a saloon was particularly handsome too, but completely forgotten about, is the Mitsubishi Galant or Legnum VR4 estate. You picked mine. Oh, I'm sorry. We didn't discuss this before. No, no, that's fine. That's fine. I have I have backups. But yes, really? I totally agree with you. I love the treatment at the front of that car. Yeah, yeah. And they all looked like that. They just were really good looking cars. Yeah. A 2.5-litre twin-turbo V6, all-wheel drive. What more do you want? And it's a bit tunable as well. Yeah. <laughs> well, now I'm going to go slightly more predictable, though, for mine. So it's not the Stagia Outtech? No. No, I wasn't yeah. going for that. Uh, that That's what I th- almost chose. Yeah. Uh, actually, the Mercedes C63 estate. <laughs> Oh, that's predictable as heck. For goodness sakes, you could be an automotive journalist with that kind of thing. Yes, but 6.2 litre and an estate, I'd be quite happy with that till I have to go to the petrol station. <laughs> well, the thing is, you say that, and it can't be any, any worse than the Saab. No, no. <laughs> I'd, you know. I'd be, I, don't think, uh, I don't think having maybe a Contash should be worse than the Saab going around town. No, not really. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, do go through the list. We've only mentioned a couple here, or three, actually, because Alan snuck in another one. But there are some uh, there are some great ones in here. And uh, there's some, I, like I say, some I just forgot. And just, Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, well done, Top Gear. Excellent. Come on, Alan, take us to France. Oh, I wish. <laughs> um, French road signs. Uh, this is from drivefrance.com. Uh, sometimes when you go to... Uh, certainly when you go to France, other countries too, there are road signs that you don't necessarily know the meaning of uh, and that you never really get around to looking up, really, or trying. And that can be that can actually be dangerous, not understanding what all the signs are in a particular country. Uh, France, just being an example, uh, the one that people don't generally get is the road with priority one, which is a white, a yellow square inside a white square. And of course, the same with a red line through it is you do not have priority. Um, these are important things to understand in France because the old priority adroit rule, which means that anyone coming out from the right of the road has priority over people on the road which is, it's really mostly a thing in villages and towns now, but it is something you have to watch for very, very carefully in some places. Do remember that when you're in France. I, I There is one street in Bourne where each summer I see at least two British cars almost get T-boned because they've assumed that the road coming from the right it's going to stop for them who are going straight on. And actually it's the street to the right that has the priority. They're trying to get rid of it in much of France, but, uh, but yeah, that one there's one that's well worth knowing. There will be people in yellow vest complaining, I would imagine to get rid of that. <laughs> there, I think, yeah, I think they'd rather rid of Macron first, to be perfectly honest. <laughs> there was another line in here, which, which made me chuckle, 
and this this comes particularly if you've traveled in france uh especially in the days before sat nav systems which it says most directional signs in france are rectangular in shape with pointed ends okay right good tick the pointed end indicates the direction to the destination in the in question oh yeah that's a bit harder to to actually agree with <laughs> uh, at, at junction sometimes if they're pointing kind of to the right or kind of to the left it normally means you actually mean you're meant to go straight on so do be aware of that there is there is a certain way that signposts point in france and it's not always the way that you would expect them to go okay and if in doubt follow toute direction for a fun tour of the outskirts of a town or village but yes uh, this is from the excellent drive-france.com uh, website lots of stuff about driving in france um yeah worth a little look if you when you uh, are next uh, are next intending on <laughs> driving in france funnily enough but no it is it is actually a good and, and useful thing cool good spot that one's a bit i didn't hmm. obviously i didn't know some of those signs Mm-hmm. And I'd have, I'd have definitely been caught out. <laughs> it's, do you know what? It's, if you have, if you're right hand drive, if you have a British number plate, then it's almost, there is almost an expectation between many aware French drivers that you're going to muck up. Okay. If you are driving a car with a French number plate, you're more likely to have an issue. Right. Yeah, but also just just awareness and being aware of priority. It still catches me out, and goodness knows I I drive, I drive there not as not as much as I'd like, um, but I drive there quite a lot and have done for quite a long time, uh, and still it catches me out. There's some places now which I really know, especially tiny little side roads and stuff. Mm. Uh, anyway, parish notes. Uh, you released. Eastern? You released. Two, well, one special edition, but in two formats. I know, it's a bit of an experiment, really. So I released the eScooter special edition, both in audio and video. So it's both a podcast. And if you go to the blog section on the website, it's there as well. Link through to YouTube if you see it on our YouTube channel. Don't forget to like and subscribe. Uh, and hit the bell. Which goes off every two years. <laughs> yeah. No, but maybe more. But in all seriousness, it, I know some people have given you uh, feedback or given the podcast feedback mm. on this and everything, and that's great to see. Um, but if you could watch it and give feedback, that would be greatly appreciated. Do, do bear in mind that we are human nice beings. Feedback. So constructive, please. <laughs> you know, just, not just abuse. One more on with camera. Yes. All right? Do 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 remember that we have uh, constraints on what Car-fection, we can do. Carfection it is not, no, nor no. is it Top Gear. Yes. <laughs> nor is it even a BBC documentary. No. So it was Alan wanting a go of e-scooters and taking along a camera because it was just as easy as taking along an audio recorder. Yep. And deciding to do something with it. So do take a little bit of a look. Have a little bit of a discussion. Try some e-scooters. Talk about pros, cons. There's lots of wind noise. If you find the audio too hard to listen to, watch the video. Because then you see the context as to why there's background noise I couldn't get rid of. 
Mm-hmm. And yeah, I, I, I had a bit of a bit of a summary, a bit of a uh, summing up at the end uh, about about e-scooters and where they fit in transportation, really. Mm-hmm. Transportation networks. So that's that. Uh, the other thing that came up this week was I was asked, and I've been asked before in the past about transcriptions of the podcast. We don't do transcriptions of the podcast. Partly the way that we speak is not good when it comes when it's written down no and also it takes uh, time and it takes quite a lot of cost as well yes to do it uh, when you've got a 30 40 minute podcast the free versions for transcribing podcasts are not good at all unless you are talking about very basic things in very basic ways and we invariably are talking about names and companies and quite geeky things (laughs) yeah we would spend longer correcting the transcriptions than it takes us to record the podcast so we i'm really sorry we don't do that i'm hugely flattered if you're using this as a way to help you learn english don't listen to andrew listen to me uh (laughs) then that's brilliant we don't do transcriptions but all the stories we talk about are on the website at motoringpodcast.com. You can link through there and there's 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 all the stuff that we talk about. Yep. Uh so that was something else which came up during the week. Last but not least, special edition on Friday. Fingers crossed if okay. if life will allow. You should. And it's not the recording, it's the prep that always takes the time. Yeah. As ever with with special editions. It does you, you think we talked lots in forty minutes. We've generally spent three times as long writing up the notes so that we can talk for 40 minutes yeah there's there's just an awful lot going on at crack windscreen towers at the minute which is Mm -hmm. pinching my available time to do the things that i would like (laughs) stroke need want to do (laughs) there are people in the house well there's that but there's there's also the need to uh to put food on the table and pay mortgages and things which has become harder for everyone. (laughs) Anyhow, whenever we're back again, uh, don't forget that between now and next week, you can give us any feedback and share your thoughts with the show at Motoring Podcast on Twitter and Instagram, on Facebook, and on the contact page of motoringpodcast.com, the hub of all our activities. Please don't forget about all the ways to support us, available at motoringpodcast.com slash support. And please leave a review and rating on Apple Podcasts or however your podcast app lets you do such a thing. Andrew, what's the best way to get in touch with you? Best way to get in touch with me is via Twitter. If you search for Crap Windscreen, you should find me there. And Alan, if somebody wants to get in touch with you and just see why you wanted to change the title of this podcast episode, what's the best way for them to do that personally? Uh, they can they can personally ask me why you've chosen whatever you've chosen as the podcast title uh, via Twitter, or I'm at AJP Bradley. That's B-I-A-D-L-E-Y. We'll be back very soon, but until then, I've been Alan Bradley. I've been Andrew Clues. And safe motoring.